Um, it's getting closer to Christmas, and as a church family, and as, as Christians, as Christ followers, and those who are seeking Christ, our thoughts naturally turn this time of year towards Christ and towards the idea of Christmas, the why of he came and the purpose of, he came, of why he came are important. Um, he came as a child. He could have come as a full-grown adult, right? I mean, he could have just floated down out of the sky into the temple courts and began teaching. That would be, that would be the Hollywood way, right? It would have been impressive, lightning, thunder, angels, the Son of God descending on a cloud into the temple to begin teaching. And, and you can even envision what it would have looked like in your mind. After all, in the book of Acts, uh, you know, it's not that unprecedented in the book of Acts. Uh, after um, he tells the disciples some last minute directions, he ascends into heaven right before their eyes and they watch him rise up into the sky. And you remember they were standing there looking and the angel said, why are you guys looking up in the sky? He kind of broke them out of their slumber. But that's not how Christ came, is it? Christ came as an infant, and I don't know about you, but infants aren't that impressive. I don't see a lot of action movies with babies in them. Um, they can't do anything for themselves. For some reason, Christ chose to come as an infant. And this Christmas, as we think about and we envision what that time must have been like, I want us to take a look uh, for a few minutes today and get a right understanding of Christmas because the right understanding of Christmas must include the why of Christmas, the why of his appearance. To do this, we're going to go in a little bit different direction. We're not going to go down the traditional Christmas story path. Uh, we're going to do uh, quite a bit of that next week uh, as the kids who are preparing even now, we'll probably hear them singing shortly. Um, will lead us in that next week. This morning, I want to take a look at three different statements, three different declarations that Christ makes in the form of musts. You see, I wrote up there, I must. Christ made some statements uh, that use the word must. So, you know, I like words. Let's take a look at what the word must means. It means to be obligated to or to should. Uh, now, should is used to indicate uh, indicate obligations, duties, or correctness. So when Jesus said, I must do something, he was indicating that there were things he was obligated to do. Let's take a look at the word obligation. An obligation then is an act or a course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound, a duty or commitment. So when Christ says, I must do, and we're going to talk about these three things in a moment, he is literally saying, these are things I am committed to do. I am obligated to do. They're my purpose. They're my reason for being. This is why I came. They express the why of Christmas, if you will. Let's take a look at the first one in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Uh, it says, Now Jesus' uh, parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. When the feast ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. They were traveling in a large group, so they were probably thinking he was with family. In fact, it says, 
His parents didn't know, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey away, but then began to search for him among relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, it says here, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Any parents ever asked your children that (laughs) in that manner? Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand this saying that he had spoken to them. They went down, uh, it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in the favor of God and man. Jesus here was saying it was important for him to stay connected with the Father. Before the death of Christ, it was accepted and taught that God the Father himself had chosen, if you will, to inhabit the holy place in the temple. And they had a whole series of laws and one of the tribes that were responsible for caring for this holy place where the Father was and only certain people could go in there and only certain things could happen in certain times of year they would have certain observations and it was a very special place in this temple that's why jesus refers to the temple as my father's house and he did this in order to model for us this vital connection to the people he came to preach to that even at a young age jesus christ desired to be with his father Acts 7, 44 through 47 says this, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern we had seen, our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God, they found uh, and were asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, and it was Solomon who built a house for him. The house was the temple in Jerusalem. Now we understand that today as a result of Christ's sacrifice, the connection between the house of God or the temple of God, if you will, has been broken and replaced by a personal connection between the Father and his followers, his, uh, what we learned in Philippians, his saints, those who are in Christ. God chose no longer to inhabit a place a building, a temple, a holy of holies, but instead a place that is built uh, by his hands, not one built by human hands. Continuing in Acts 7, 48 and 49, it says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in a house made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is my place of rest? Did not my hand make all of these? Instead, Christ now inhabits his people. He lives with us both individually and in the church. Listen as Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 6:19. Even employing, listen, the same very same language Jesus used when he spoke to his parents. 1 Corinthians 6:19 through 20 says, "Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price. So glorify 
God in your body. There was this transition uh, when we know when Christ was uh, crucified and he died, the temple veil was broken. You can read about this uh, in any of the resurrection accounts. It was torn. That was a symbol. That was a, that was a, a, a message from God saying, I will no longer be in this place. I'm going to be in a new place. And that is in the believer's life. The building of the church, or any church building, if you will, including this one, are simply buildings. Places, tools, and resources that the church, the local church body, can use in the worship of God, and in the teaching, and the training, and the fellowship, and in the service of the community. Buildings are no longer holy places or houses of God anymore. You now are the house of God. I am the house of God. The believer, the saints in Christ, are the temples or the houses of God. Now, you may have grown up in a church or a religious tradition. I did. I'm, I'm sure, certain that many of you did that described some level of holiness or set-asideness, if you will, of certain places in the building, the altar, uh, the place in the back where they kept certain items and things, and there were, there were certain places only the priest could go or only uh, the person in charge could go. Uh, some of us grew up in churches and in religious structures such as that. The New Testament doesn't support <laughs> that view of the building of the church. It's a building. We are the church. We, the people, you and I, Christ followers, are the temple of God. That's why I often, when you hear me talk about the, the building, I'll, and I'll say, I'll meet you at the building where Elmwood Park Community Church meets. <laughs> because we're Elmwood Park Community Church. This building is a building. If this building were, if we had a tornado today like they had in Kentucky, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. We have friends that were in that. Um, but if we were in that and this building was gone, Elmwood Park Community Church still remains. Okay? Uh, remind me about uh, telling you about our friends in a minute when we pray, if I forget. Christ's intentions then, when he said, I must be in my father's house must translate differently to us today then, right? Because if this is no longer a house, if you will, or a holy of holies, or a place where the Father inhabits, what does this mean for us today? I believe Jesus was indicating to us the importance of being with the Father. It was so important for Christ at the age of 12 to be with the Father that he left his parents' side and went to the temple and began to teach and began to talk and began to spend time in his Father's house with those in the religious structure who were supposed to be religious leaders. And this is probably where Jesus got his really good first taste of what the religious structures were like that day. And we know later um, he got pretty upset, didn't he? He got pretty upset with those guys. How does this translate to us? I believe it translates this way. Uh, Jesus is, in, in his first must statement, reminding us that we must take time to spend with the Father. We have to carve out time. This can't be uh, a tack on, uh, a thing we forget, and then remember at the moment, or anybody do that? The moment your head hits the pillow, you're like, oh no, I forgot to pray today. I forgot to read my Bible today. Some of you are like, oh no, that's me. Maybe you don't even remember when you go to bed. I don't know. Um, but we have to take time, spend time with the Father, spend time reading, spend time studying, spend time discussing, learning, fellowshipping with other Christian believers, serving together with one another, listening to the Father. Um, we talked today a little bit about listening in silence. Anybody take some quiet time and just sit and talk to the Father and then listen 
to see what he says. Spending time with other believers, serving and witnessing. These are the kind of activities Christ is pointing to. And he's saying, I would be, I must be in my Father's house. He's reminding us that me, we must remain connected with the Father. It's important uh, for Jesus. It must be important for us, too. The difference is now God is with us wherever we go. First John, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, uh, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. That word, Emmanuel, we sang about it today. He became flesh and is now among us. You and I must spend time with the Father. Now, the second must is found in Luke 4. If you'll flip over, it's just a page away from where we started a moment ago. 41 through 44, we'll find our next must statement. I'm, I'm starting at 41. We're going to start in 42. It says, When it was day, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He states his purpose, doesn't he? Jesus says, I must preach the gospel, the good news, to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. We are likewise <laughs> in the calling uh, of preaching and sharing and witnessing, just like the disciples in Mark 16, we often read the, the, the Great Commission, if you will, where Jesus commissions the disciples to go. We often read that out of Matthew, but there's a, another version, if you will, in Mark 16, in verse 15, and it sounds similar, and it says this, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, whoever does not believe will be condemned. There's, it's a little bit different flavor, doesn't it? But this is, this is Jesus telling us, this was why I came, this is my purpose, but this is also your purpose. The point here is that we too must go. We too must be about the mission mandate, if you will, of the Christmas story. We don't often think of that when we think of the Christmas story. We don't often uh, dive in and think about the mission aspects of it. It's not simply a cute story about a baby born in a stable and all the other stuff that has sprung up about Christmas over the years, but there's an inherent mission mandate in the story of Christmas. Christ came because he must go and preach. That's why he came. That was his purpose. And then he took the gospel to us and said, this is your purpose as well. The third must here, uh, this one won't be a surprise out of Matthew 16, explains the why of Christmas probably better uh, than any other. If you'll turn with me, Matthew 16 in verse 21, says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and on the third day to be raised. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but upon the things of man. To answer the question, why Christmas, we ultimately find that answer in the story of Easter, don't we? So often we want to divorce these two Easter and Christmas kind of holidays from one another. But the fact is, Christmas points to Easter. Christmas is why Easter happened. Jesus' goal was this, to suffer, to be killed, and on the third day raised, and he told his disciples he must go to Jerusalem for this purpose. He knew he had to go this direction. Um, I was reading last night some other things in Scripture. I didn't write them all down, but in one place it says at one point in time, Jesus firmly set his face toward Jerusalem and said, this is where we must go next. And he knew he was walking into a death sentence, but he did it. He did it for you, and he did it for me, out of the immense love of the Father to save us from the penalty of sin, Christ said, I must go to Jerusalem. Now, I want to refer back to Jesus' statement for Peter here because I, this is where I want to wrap this up this morning. Is your mind set on the things of man or the things of God? Uh, Peter was uh, an impulsive guy, to say the least, right? Um, he was called by Christ, and he followed Christ faithfully. Although he denied him, Christ invited him back in three times, asking him if he loved him to make up for the three denials. We know Peter was impulsive. Don't wash my feet, Lord. We talked about this just recently. And he said, if you don't wash your feet, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part in me. He said, well, my feet and my hands and my head too. He was just, uh, it was, he was, uh, he wasn't bipolar, but sometimes when you read about him, it's like, wow, he's all over the place. And again, in this moment, Christ says, I must go. This is my purpose, to preach the gospel, to go to Jerusalem, to, be, uh, to suffer, to be killed, to be raised again. And Peter took him aside and he's like, what are you thinking, Christ? You can't do that. Don't do that. This shall never happen to you. And the Lord Jesus probably grabbed him by the shoulders and looked into his eyes like a father looks into the eyes of a, of a son or daughter who's making a grave mistake and says, Listen, <laughs> you're a hindrance to me with this current attitude. You are not thinking correctly. You have your mind set on the things of the world and not upon the things of God. I think the Father needs to do that to us. We need to have that intervention, if you will. Because if we're not careful, we can get carried away with Christmas. We can get upside down with the culture. And we can get wrapped up in things around Christmas uh, and around Easter and around other cultural events that have nothing to do anymore with Christianity. Colossians 3, 
1 through 4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind upon the things above, not on the things of earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What is your mind set upon today? What has captivated you in the culture to the degree that you're upside down with the gospel in this particular area? And that could be something different for each of us. I guarantee you there's something somewhere that we're not seeing correctly. Uh, Peter walked with the bodily Christ for three years and still messed up over and over and over. Why do we think we're any better? <laughs> we, we are not any more righteous. We're not any more faithful. Uh, we're not any less prone to mistake than Peter. What is your mind set upon today? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above that are not the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrangle with this today as we are confronted with the why of Christmas, um, it, it may not have been on our mind. I hope that it was. I pray that it is. And I pray, Lord, that as we think about this again, you'll remind us of the musts of your son Christ, who said he must be with you, connected with you, in your Father's house. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We don't have to worship you in a place. Lord, that we can worship you anywhere we are at. We thank you for inhabiting the people whom you have saved and that you have made our body a temple. Lord, we also thank you for the fact that you have saved us for something on this earth. You didn't just come to save us from an eternal separation and from our sin problem, but you also saved us in order to call us into the must of preaching the good news. And Lord, our, our Savior Christ is confronting us today with the calling to go and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Lord, we thank you that you've called us into this even though it's daunting, even though it's scary, even though we think we might not know what to say, we have the promise of Scripture that says when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and gives us the words to say. And so, Lord, I pray that as we think through those two things and are confronted with the third, that you will change our hearts, change our minds, that we won't be upside down with the culture, but instead we'll be upside down with you. Lord, knowing that we have been raised in Christ and that we are to seek the things above 
and place our minds upon the things above and not on the earth. And so, Lord, today we confess to you our minds haven't always been on the things of God. We confess to you that our thoughts are often far away from you and that we stray. And Lord, the, the whole of Scripture talks about a people who stray. We're not any different than those people. Lord, we stray too, and we know that you love us, and we know that you call us back, and we know that in the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, you will call us into a relationship once again. And so, Lord, we confess those things to you today and ask that you change our hearts and change our minds, that our minds will be set upon the things of God, the things that are important to you, and that as Christ found purpose in you, in what he was to do, giving Christmas a why, you will help us to find our purpose in you as you give us a why. And for all of us, it's the same. And for each of us, it's different. Lord, the sameness is the calling to share the good news, to serve and to love, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the different is that each of us have individual lives that have individual intersections with other people that not all of us share. And so in those intersections, Lord, you call us specially to be a witness for you. Lord, I pray that we will reflect on this today, this, this, this day, this week, this season, and that we will, if we're not sure of it, ask you, what is my purpose? What do you want from me this season and this new year that's coming? Lord, we love you. We want to honor you with our thoughts and our minds. May we set our hearts and minds on the things above and not on the things of earth this season. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Told you before we pray.